Hello, I'm Andrew Gentile. And I'm Ariana. And you're listening to Behind the Flicks. This show is all about me. That's it. No. <laughs> uh, this show is all about me sharing as many facts as I know about filmmaking and directors and behind the scenes info about movies and whatnot to Ariana. And you'll join us for the ride. This episode's guest is Isra Al Kamali, a director, screenwriter, and co founder of the independent Iraqi film festival. Isra, welcome to Behind the Flicks. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Isra, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? What led to your path in the film world? Oh, it's a journey. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Um, so hi, everyone who is listening, watching. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. I'm a screenwriter, uh, director, producer, also script supervisor. <laughs> Just try to do everything. Um, my journey with uh, the filmmaking and storytelling world started when I was a young kid. I always wrote stories. I mainly wrote like short stories and ideas for novels, poetry as well. Um, but as I grew up, I started to realize I'm an extremely visual person and I would imagine the, the angles, the music, uh, the camera movement, the colors, everything about the story. And, um, but as I, I, I was also equally passionate about everything that's going on in the world when it comes to social issues, politics, and as an Iraqi, um, I was born in Baghdad, um, that kind of never escaped me. It's just part of my identity, unfortunately, um, that everything around me and my who I am is political. And so um, I was always gravitated towards um, the human condition, what makes people do certain things, and also untold stories, stories that people forget about other people. Um, and so I actually did my bachelor's um, at Georgetown University. Um, I studied foreign service. I majored in culture and politics. And that really fed and informed my storytelling. It really gave me the tools to understand the world around me better and to analyze things around me. And, and um, uh, whether that's through like the, humanita the, the humanities classes or social science classes or the politics classes or philosophy, all of that really fed into my storytelling. Um, but I still had that passion of really wanting to be on set, really wanting to write a script. So the first time I stepped on set, um, I was as assistant to the script supervisor. And I remember how everything was just like so busy and how everyone was working hard and like on their feet. And there was so much passion and the story was amazing. And I, at the time I was working in an office, like nine to five, I was doing something that I didn't like to do. But I realized that this is what I, where I want to be. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, being someone with uh, ADD, I get so bored easily. And so I felt like being on different projects uh, would always helps my brain be alert. And um, I'm always excited to be, to meet new people and to be in a new place. So anyway, I applied for um, the MFA program, uh, filmmaking program at New York Film Academy here in LA. And that's when I moved um, to LA in, in December of 2020. 
Um, it was in the middle of COVID um, and I quit my job. People were losing their jobs at the time, you know, and like, I just quit my job and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And, you know, everyone was like, you're crazy. <laughs> you know, the comfort of the nine to five, the corporate world, you know, you get really good money, but you sell your soul, you know? So it's like, I couldn't do that anymore. And then that's when I decided to come out here. Um, yeah, and um, 2020 is also, um, before coming to LA, is also when I co-founded the Independent Iraqi Film Festival. Um, we founded it, um, again, during lockdown, and it was me and a, a couple of other of my Iraqi friends who are in not just the filmmaking and the arts, but also they're social activists in, in themselves, and they they do a lot of community work. And we sort of were talking about how we don't see a lot of Iraqi films that are being celebrated and put out in the in the world. There's there's so many talented Iraqi filmmakers, but unfortunately, uh, because of the politics, because of um, the fact that um, this industry is very classist, um, it's hard to show your work unless you have money, unless you have uh, submission fees, you know, and like all of that. It's it's so we wanted to break that barrier. Um, we wanted to celebrate the stories that are coming out from Iraq. We wanted to celebrate the talented filmmakers and storytellers. And we wanted to also like shed light on stories about Iraqis made by Iraqis. You know, um, unfortunately, we have a distorted image of um, who an Iraqi is by the media and especially some of the films that came out from Hollywood. Um, we're always kind of uh, framed as terrorists or as a target or just as collateral damage. And um, we don't really hear um, the stories of the people. And yeah, so it was a huge success. Um, we were featured in different magazines um, and outlets, GQ magazine, BBC, Al Jazeera, um, even like ID magazine featured us. Um, so, it was really nice to see the community come together and talk about um, healing, trauma, celebration of the resilience of people and all that. What a beautiful thing to to have done. I mean, just to have something under your belt this early in your career, like that's wonderful. That's a, a beautiful foundation to show the world what you're trying to do with your film career. Thank you so much. Um, and yeah, in terms of like my career career um i've written short films directed short films went to festivals got some awards um my last short film was a horror feminist short film about a woman who's trying to walk back home at night but she gets stopped by these predatory headed animal people that ask her misogynistic riddles and she has to answer them correctly in order to get home safely <laughs> And um, right now, I'm also trying to pitch my feature film, um, which got quarter finalist at the Academy's Nicole um, Screenwriting Fellowship. And it's uh, a coming of age drama. And it's about um, two high school best friends that are racing against time to document some of the old areas in their neighborhood before it's demolished in the name of progress. Um, I grew up in Qatar, so I was born in Iraq um, and in Baghdad, but I grew up, I was displaced um, after the US-Iraq war, and then I grew up in Qatar. And Qatar- Can I home, ask what yeah. it means to be displaced? So, if that's a, I, a, yeah. Yeah, of course. Just, um, 
do you mean the definition of the word or i mean it i don't know if that if it has like a meaning outside of the simplicity of like you simply had to move yeah if, so if... um usually it's because of war and like the political instability that iraq went through i had to i was forced to move out so the displacement was like not necessarily a choice um mm -hmm. And it was just to survive. Um, so I was displaced, me and my family, and we had to seek uh, refuge in Qatar. And um, in Qatar, I, that's where I grew up most of my life. Um, but that's where also the FIFA World Cup was hosted recently. And with every country that hosted big mega sporting events like the Olympics or the World Cup always causes a lot of social issues, economic issues, especially to people in middle and lower class. There's a lot of gentrification that happens and um, a lot of changes that happens to the city. And so, so many places places I grew up around just got demolished or were changed. And every day I would wake up to a new reality. And no one was talking about the impact that was having on people's psyche and how people couldn't keep up with these constant fast-paced changes. So that's what kind of drew me to to write that feature story. To document a truth. Yes, it's like what I call a race against um, amnesia, like cultural amnesia. You know, it's like you wake up to a different reality every day and it's like, you can't keep up with that. And of course, because of that, you would have resistance from people who want to hold on to more like traditional stuff or they they want to um, stop this progress. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing. I really hope somebody who's listening, I, I have no doubt actually that people are listening can be absolutely inspired by the journey you've made to become a filmmaker and what you've done with it. A whole Thank you, other matter entirely. It's beautiful. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Ariana, our resident film critic, can I please get a review of Aftersun? Oh, yes. I am excited to review this movie of Aftersun. Uh, quick uh, synopsis is that it is a, on the surface, it is a story about a father and daughter on enjoying a summer vacation. I believe it's summer vacation, some kind of holiday vacation. But they get to spend time together uh, at some sort of resort for which they visited before. And it's just on the surface about, I guess, how their relationship with one another and how they relate. And then um, a little bit of forward viewing of the daughter's life in the future. Very little dabbles of that, which is extraordinarily well done. Um, but the undersurface is what the real story is. It's so much of not almost any, almost nothing of what is said and only half of what you see is kind of what the story is about. And it's so beautifully done. I, I remember finishing the movie and having a moment where I'm like, I'm, I'm not surprised necessarily, but I'm a little surprised that I was captivated for this whole film. It I was so in tune with it. I it's so simple. They're just at the resort talking to each other about their scuba diving adventures and their teachers and their life about seemingly nothing. But the way that it's filmed and the way that it shows how they relate to each other and what the camera focuses on 
while you're listening to these little seemingly minuscule interactions is what tells this the story of of the pain of what this father's going through and the blissful ignorance of, of his daughter just enjoying time with him and then reflecting on that as a as an older woman in her own family is just I just thought this was so beautiful and I was so surprised about how intricately woven the filmmaking was visually and um the the simplicity of what the actors were doing with each other and it was just it was it, to me this was like really really fantastic filmmaking for a very simple story made absolutely captivating and relatable to to anyone that watches it I think anybody that watches this could understand what the characters could be going through and you don't need a whole lot of context you know you don't you know very little about their independent lives and I, I don't really care and I think that's something that's very it, it surprised me that this is such a modern film it's only a year old maybe two I think it's 2022 Mm-hmm. Um, it surprised me that this is so new because I feel like the style um, is kind of lost in a lot of mainstream movies these days. It's They're not very quiet anymore. They don't let you just kind of feel through uh, what the characters might be experiencing. They have to tell you everything. And this movie doesn't really do that. It's very, um, it's almost secretive in a very beautiful kind of way. And so I give this one an A easily. Uh, to me, it's so difficult to make a film like this that good and that wonderful to watch. And to think that it could be rewatched too. It is a rewatcher. I would rewatch this film and you'd probably pick up on so much more. Um, and uh, that's no easy feat. So these filmmakers are like, they did a great job. I'll share my thoughts, but uh, uh, Isra, uh, I want to hear why you're fangirling, as you said, over this film. I'm really drawn to movies that let you sit with the moment and let you and force you to sit with the with that like long take where like in the film we see um the father um going to the balcony and smoking like close that's like one of the earlier shots when they're in the hotel mm-hmm. and she's just sleeping and like the framing of it and you just wait and you're like what's going to happen and he's just smoking you know but you watch him almost like a documentary, you know, like this life, this day unfold right before your eyes and you live and breathe with the characters. And I really love those kinds of films. And for me as a director, I always said that um, what I'm interested in is when everyone is looking towards a specific direction, let the camera go and show the opposite direction, what everyone is forgetting to look at, what everyone usually ignores. And I think this film really captures that because sometimes we're looking at a shot that you would normally maybe not look at or conventionally you would want to cut from and do a more of like a stand like a conventional standard type of coverage. But we don't. And it really makes you think it really makes you feel. And I think the emotions here are so well portrayed. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite shots as well is when they take a picture um, at the restaurant and then the they set the Polaroid at the table and then you see it forming in real time. And it's just a static shot insert of that Polaroid forming and you would see them sitting next to each other in that picture. And it, and it says something about the movie. And I think what I really loved as well is the fact that 
it's not just, oh, we're trying to break rules and be very artistic, you know, <laughs> we're not trying to like, um, um, how to say this, um, just show a beautiful frame. No, every single shot did add something to the emotions of the story. So I really enjoyed how it wasn't plot heavy, but it was progressing the story emotionally and um, there was a lot of thought put into the logic of the emotion. Um, and I really like breaking rules in writing, filmmaking, and I felt like that did a lot of it. And it was just a new way to look at things. Um, and as you mentioned, Andrew, in fact, in like some of the interviews I watched of uh, Charlotte Wells, she also um, speaks about a lot of the footage that didn't end up in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it was like really interesting to, to also hear that. Um, and then when she was talking about like why she was choosing specific cuts or shots with the editor, they all focused about what progresses the story emotionally. Um, and also they were so careful about not making people watch some like this movie and think they will be led somewhere else, that they were being led into a specific direction. And um, and what's really beautiful is the shots were not just director, cinematographer, like th those de decisions didn't come only from those two people. There is one specific shot of the father. Um, when he's crying on the bed. And initially they wanted to have it where he's facing the camera or something, but then Paul Maskell said, no, I, I wanna be in this enclosed space and you have to shoot me from the back. And then initially they were not like sure of how it's gonna look like, but then when they shot it, it really felt like the world is closing up on him. And I just love that collaborative nature of it. And this movie reminds me of, um, um, I think it's Flag Day. I don't know if you guys have seen it. No. Flag Day, it's um, directed and starred by Sean Penn. Mm. He went to Cannes and it is so beautiful. It's also like a father-daughter relationship. There is also some like VHS tape type of like looks into it, in, in it. Um, highly recommend that too. So films like that, also Atlantic's um, by Matty Diop, it's on Netflix. It's, it has a lot of shots where you can just like breathe the scene, look at what characters are doing. The the moments where they just let you sit and watch what's happening, it's it pulls you in rather than like pulling you along. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so you want to sink in, you want to pay attention. I really appreciate this movie because um it it it, it backed up um what i think the three most important elements are in a narrative filmmaking the writing the acting and the editing mm -hmm. because in a narrative film i feel like if the writing's not good and you don't have you know you don't have a good foundation if the acting's not good then you don't believe it if the editing's not good then it just doesn't come together and so and it's like yeah all those worked all those were flawless for the story that the director was trying to tell it's pretty close to being perfect in terms of um in terms of the execution of the vision so yeah this is an a film for me too andrew andrew we agree yeah we're on the same page with this one is there what did you do to us 
We agree a lot, Ariana. <laughs> I'm, I'm recruiting more people to the After Sun fan club. Yeah. Yeah, I think like the first time I watched it, like, oh my God, I was crying, like crying so much. And it's exactly what you said, Andrew. Like it really just made me constantly think about it, even the next day and the day after. And a lot of people who watched it, even the ones... um who were at the Oscars in 2022, because Paul Masco was nominated for an Oscar for this film. But yeah, no, like even the guests in the Oscars were like when they were being interviewed, like, oh, what what movies have you watched that were nominated? And what's your favorite one? And some of them mentioned After Sun and how when they watched it, they also were crying and thinking about it the next day. Um, yeah, I just think that's like what movies should do is like have that emotional impact on people. And as as you guys mentioned, like it's good writing. For me, like writing is the number one thing. If the story is, is good, but the visuals aren't the best, it's still a great film. Um, but yeah, writing and then acting, like the performance has to be really well. These two like are very important for a good film. Um, yeah, I totally agree. So I'm right. <laughs> that's what I, just, we got. I, just, I just that's that's what i've gotten from this episode thus far is that yeah. andrew is always right <laughs> um so how has uh isra uh how has after sun influenced your own work um i think it kind of validated what i'm trying to do um because i get often um submerged in other voices you know as writers when you're writing your own work you get critiques um you have to know how to balance between um what is true to your voice versus like um okay i you know this doesn't doesn't work for me or like i'm gonna take this advice um and i think watching after sun really like just emphasized that there's no one way to tell a story and i think i also have learned it a lot recently um I went to a an underground film festival in Chicago and like all the films were so experimental again like non-narrative and new ways of telling stories and 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 visually so I just felt like this feature film that got a BAFTA you know that had an actor that got nominated for an Oscar there is really not one way to tell a story and you should listen to your voice and um even like she was, uh, Charlotte Wells was talking about the rave sequence in the film and how it was really hard for readers to understand it, but she had the vision for it and they were able to make it. Um, and so it's like, even listening to how she, you know, was fighting for her story um, while also like listening is very important for me. I was also on a feature film um, where I showed the director after Sun and um, shout out to Zach Goodwin. He was the director and he really loved like that Polaroid shot as well. And he was inspired by it. So he kind of like did a shot that was inspired by that in his own feature. So I'm just here spreading the love for After Sun. <laughs> um, Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, um, it's just such a great film. And even her previous work um, is is so fantastic. It, After Sun and movies like it remind you, oh yeah, cinema can do anything. And it's mm -hmm. not just, it's not all these guys. And it's not just all these uh, mainstream filmmakers. It's, oh yeah, there are experimenters. There are people who are really pushing the form in narrative and experimental. 
it reminds you, oh yeah, you can do anything in cinema. Absolutely. I, I always kind of, recently actually, I feel like I've learned that you should not wait for permission from someone to make your story or your film. And you like, you should not have anyone tell you this is the only way to make a film. Um, my last short film, it was a kind of like, um, I wouldn't say it's an experimental horror film, neither what it was like, you know, basic narrative. But I had a lot of people also like tell me like, this is weird, or like, this is not whatever. But like, you know, there's always going to be an audience. There's always going to be people who are going to be watching that specific film. People, there's like 7 billion people on this earth with different interests, tastes, and there will be someone who's going to watch a film, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> After Charlotte Wells created three short films while attending New York University through their graduate film program, she was accepted into the Sundance Institute's Screenwriters and Directors Lab. She used her time at the lab to develop her feature-length debut film, After Sun. So this, this is her, her first debut film. film. I know, yes. right? Yes, this is what makes me just so blows my mind. It's her debut film. She got a BAFTA for it, and her actor got nominated for an Oscar for the first time through her film, which always makes me think, why was she not also nominated for Best Director? But that's another story. Deserves it. Holy cow, I can't believe it. Yes. And we were talking a little bit earlier about the experimentation. This film feels, I, what I forgot to say is that this film feels very controlled. Charlotte Wells talks a lot about what was cut from the film um, and how, in the audio commentary, as well as how she felt like, oh, we didn't have enough time to get this and we didn't have enough time to get that. And this edit didn't work and we had to remove this entire scene and I wasn't quite sure about this. And you look at the final film, it's like, th this feels like a vision. Like a vision that was executed in a perfect kind of thing. And and it's only, it's it's a classic artist thing of like, only she sees the details that are missing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, really, that's, that's kind of it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Because I didn't, I was surprised when she was saying all of that as well, because it felt like it was studied to like the second that this is how it's going to look like this is how the, the final product the product is oh it was always there but you know as we know things constantly change like she was saying how like they prepped for the shot list like with her cinematographer but obviously when you get to location things change but having that prep work really helped them drive um those changes or like as long, as long as they knew that this is the emotional beat that they're trying to convey, then they will know how to replicate that in any other location that they would find. Um, and I think that is just, that just goes to show how much of a good, like, director she was. One of the short films Wells made at NYU, titled Tuesday, explores the loss of her own father as a teenager. After Sun explores similar themes, while at the same time, those themes are more applied than overt. So, uh, you, you know, one of the things uh, that I've, uh, this is going to be me, me getting very personal, very fast, Isra, is uh, I, I've struggled with uh, suicidal ideation in my own past. And, you know, it bubbles up every now and again. And uh, so I really admired this film for the way it dealt with, uh, it implied those themes in a way that is uh, very well done and uh, 
and and themes of like depression you know it it it, it shows kind of the reality of how devast quietly devastating it can be so i don't know yeah. no you're absolutely right because i i dealt or i still deal with um depression and i often see that you know especially with emerging filmmakers they whenever someone is like gravitating towards telling a story about mental health or depression it's not quite captured well a lot of the times um there's a lot of like stereotypes uh, that are used and um cliche writing that is used but like with this one it really truly shows i don't know for me as someone again personal getting really personal um who has been through a lot of depression um I notice I noticed those subtle moments like when her father was going through it and it's like sometimes I was I think watching with other friends and thankfully they haven't been through a depression but like they would not catch that and I felt like it spoke to you know people like you know me who went through that emotional process and I I felt it was so well represented it feels like the reality of it so i absolutely agree with you so i read somewhere that um frankie uh the actress that played the little girl so they didn't give her the full script oh no kidding they, i didn't know that yeah so i read this somewhere um where they didn't give her the full script because they wanted to make sure that when she's acting she truly doesn't know that her father is going through depression and suicidal thoughts. And so everything that was that she was doing is genuine. And so Charlotte Wells removed those parts that indicated that her father was like going through something. But then over time, um, it was becoming clearer and clearer that it is a sad story. <laughs> and then uh, the actress like the that played Sophie, she's such like a machine that like she was so brutally honest that Charlotte Wells was saying in one of her inter interviews that um, like uh, the girl would be like, oh, my God, just go back and do your sad movie. <laughs> She was calling it a sad movie, but yeah, I mean, like it was really funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, even that for a director is so smart it, when she was like removing these parts so she can get the best performance. She did a wonderful job too. Like I, I believe their relationship a hundred percent. They really were in sync with one another, and you could tell they were both comfortable. You know, I think that. Um, I mean, the the physicality of it was so light and delicate and genuine to like a father daughter relationship, and it didn't feel forced at all. And you can tell when actors are comfortable doing things like that. Even something simple like putting sunscreen on a child's back, like people will watch that and be like, making sure it's okay. And you can just see how natural it is for for them on screen. And I that that caters to probably the talent of, of Charlotte as a director creating an environment where they felt safe with one another and the actors of course with each other too so it's nice to see that see that on screen Paul Mescal was brought on board as you mentioned uh to play the character of Calum Mescal had his breakout role in the tv miniseries Normal People meanwhile Frankie Corio was cast to play the character of Sophie as a child uh who was chosen out over 800 applicants so it's a lot of kid actors do we know who got brought on first well in an interview she mentioned that kind of 
almost happened at the same time. They just took longer to find Sophie. Uh, so uh, uh, Frankie, um, because of 800 submissions and they were like online. Notably, After Sun was filmed in Turkey in 2021 during the pandemic. Uh, Isra, did you work at all during the pandemic? On and off, like only when we were allowed to go back to set where we had to follow COVID rules. Yeah, what was that yeah, like? Yeah, like I shot, oh my God. <laughs> um, For independent filmmakers, it was definitely so difficult because COVID added a lot of co costs to the budget. And unfortunately, like there was like no support when it comes to that, where like, you know, big studios could still afford a lot. Um, for us, um, or for me, you know, we have to continue, you know, holding a, a good standard of safety. And some of that meant, um, you know, sacrificing crew number or cast. Um, so we, we, the total number of crew and cast would be divided by the square footage foot of the, sorry, um, the space. And then that's when like the permit office would be like, okay, you have too many people here. Or you might have to like find a way to have less people in the location. So for one of my films, um, the horror one that I was talking about, um, a lot of the characters are wearing those like predatory headed masks. So they were in masks anyway. So like that was helpful. <laughs> but also I was able to like reduce the number of cast and then instead maybe like have one of the crew members step in and put the mask on but then the voiceover would be by an actual actor so because you would never see their like mouth moving or anything so you know tricks like that we had to like really adjust and accommodate to the reality i'm thankful that you know things are better now although the majority of after sun is filmed on 35 millimeter film some portions of the movie were shot on a mini DV camera, such as the scene after Sophie goes scuba diving. For that scene, Corio operated the camera herself. Uh, in another of the scenes where Corio operated the camera, the production crew were visible within that scene. <laughs> However, the director liked that take, so the crew was digitally removed from the final film. And it really adds like an authenticity to that scene, to those scenes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, there is a really also fun fact about that one where they removed the crew members from the shot. So she was saying, Charlotte was saying that like when um, the, she pans like the camera towards her and then we see like the crew behind, um, then they sent that footage to the VFX uh, house and the VFX house um, saw that, okay, there will be like there were crew in the shot, but there was also Paul Mascal like dancing I think his reflection on the TV is, is there too mm. and so they removed Paul's reflection but they kept the crew for some reason what? and then Charlotte went back to them and it was like you removed the main actor of the film oh, no. the reflection is there on purpose keep that that's part of the aesthetic <laughs> the crew is not wow. <laughs> oh my gosh what are they thinking no idea but that was so funny that's they a classic new. miscommunication <laughs> yeah that was the call they somebody called in sick and they're like we need a guy to come do this <laughs> i think what i really liked um well paul Maskell mentioned this is that her writing uh charlotte's writing was so meticulous 
but she was so free in directing. And I think that is such like a goal to have as a director. Um, she was open to suggestions, um, but the story was there. And I think that's what he was trying to say. It's a solid story. And he said every time he read the script, he would come back to it because he felt like he for he lost something, but sometimes he felt like he also found something new. And for a script to have someone to always go back to it just shows how well written it was. Ariana, Isra, final thoughts on After Sun. Final thoughts on After Sun. Um, couple things. I do. I do like to. I've done this for the past couple of podcasts. I do like to talk about my favorite scene or moment or something, depending on the film. Um, and this one for me is I never pick the ending, but this one I I choose the ending because I you watch these rave scenes the whole movie, and I don't I don't understand them for the first half, and I'm trying to get it, and then you eventually see him in the dance, and you're you're slowly putting together what's happening to him and why they might be visual and then you put it together that it's his daughter and it's like this beautiful like little hint of what's happening and then at the very end and you see him put away the camera in the same shirt that he's dancing in as he walks away into the rave where it's like okay once he's gone from her sight every vision after him is just what she creates it's not him anymore it's just how she feels about him and that ending was so bow-tied, beautiful, wrapped up from the hints that it displayed through the whole film. That moment where you see him close the camera and walk through those doors was like my, it, it was like, oh, it felt, it felt good to watch it all come together. Because that was the hardest part for me to put together through the whole film was those rave scenes. Because I knew they meant something really significant, but it, you really don't fully understand until the very and I love that I was like damn damn it it's a good movie <laughs> um, um but other than that might be in my favorite scene uh after sun is worthwhile I think everybody should should go see it if they want to be taken on a on a um handable a manageable emotional journey I think sometimes films about especially about depression and then things like suicide or familial relationships that are really struggling sometimes they're hard to take in you know you you finish the film and you're like I never want to watch that ever again like it was good but I'm done <laughs> it was too much this film is not like that it's very relatable and tunes into the subtlety of what it's like to struggle with something like this and um uh, and I and I think it's worth a, a watch for anybody that is willing to explore a bit more of their emotional side. And I, I guarantee you, once you watch it, you'll want to watch it again. Um, I think Ariana, you put it really, really beautifully and well. Like that whole like last scene and him going to the rave. Um, fun fact. Um, <laughs> Charlotte was saying that actually they shot. You know how it rotates. The camera rotates from uh, older Sophie into the um where he, where her father left um her when she was young at the airport and then he goes and walks away to the rave apparently the pan continues they shot it where like it goes back to older Sophie and she gets up and all of that but like in the editing room they thought that no 
when he walks away, that is a more powerful like scene and and, and shot to 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 stick with than having to go back to older Sophie. Um, yeah, kind of like final thoughts about After Sun. Um, this is the the perfect film about how um, you can showcase what is unsaid. This film has a lot of subtext and I think that beautiful films really do really well with subtext where it shows us what is left unsaid or unexplained. And I think that After Sun did really well with that. It is an emotional journey. It, it forces you to sit down and live through a scene and really challenges the audience and I think a good film challenges an audience and if you're a filmmaker um, who wants to expand their um, visual storytelling and you want to learn you should definitely watch After Sun for the good writing good performance and the good shots so shout out to the cinematographer of this film because this movie looks beautiful um, it, 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 I, I mean this is a compliment you can tell it was shot on film like you can, the colors pop and you see a grain to it and it gives it like an, uh, an old, old aesthetic, which is timeless, like a memory. Point number two, to answer your question, Ariana, uh, what's the moment that I remember? Uh, that's the scene I remember the most. It's probably going to be the scene where uh, Paul Mus where the, uh, car uh, the character's name. Callum. Uh, Ca Callum. Uh, his character, uh, uh, talks about what he, his eleventh birthday was like mm -hmm. to Sophie. Yeah. Um. Th and really and he, yeah. And, and instead of like covering it, instead of shooting it through like close ups or medium shots or like cutting back and forth between, you know, his reaction to her reaction, her reacting to how he said it, they shoot it through a reflection on one on the left side of the screen. Uh, of a mirror and then the reflection on the TV on the right side of the screen. So that whole conversation goes on through reflections again, like memories. And that's mm -hmm. a beautiful, perfect metaphor for what a memory is like. You, you don't quite mm -hmm. like, sometimes I, you know, when I think of a memory or I'm, I'm talking to someone, I'm not staring, or at least as when I was a kid, I'm, I'm not directly looking at them. I'm like looking at the ground or I'm like looking all over the like i'm looking somewhere else when somebody's talking and that's what i remember and uh, so it captures kind of like that flash of the past you know yeah um and that's very powerful so that's my favorite scene and the last note thing i'd like to note is that uh there was this film critic named roger ebert who said a quote that i like but i don't quite agree with it 100 percent. but i like the the sentiment behind it he said, uh, movies are like machines that generate empathy. Um, and and, and if, if there's ever a movie that would be used as evidence uh, that that there are machines that generate empathy, After Sun would certainly be on that list. Uh, it, 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 yeah, it, it dives into the experience of others. And that's why I think it's great about it. Uh, Isra. Two final, two final questions for you. What do you have to promote and where can people follow you? 
Well, you can follow me on Instagram at Isra Al Kamali. That's my first name, last name, I S R double A A L K A M A L I. Um, and right now I'm promoting in terms of my work. Uh, I am pitching my feature film, The Anxious Place, and you can also find it on Instagram. Um, and I would love to find someone to help me bring it to life. But as a person, I want to promote that people chase their dreams and do what they love and really tell authentic stories that come from the heart and um, to really stick to your vision and not wait for anyone's permission to do what you want. <laughs> Listeners, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, feel free to shoot us an email at independentcareerstudios at gmail.com. If you like this episode, please write a review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or YouTube. We'd love to hear your feedback. Behind the Flicks was created by myself and Ariana. I wrote and edited this episode. My name is Aaron Gentile. This has been an Independent Career Studios production. Thank you.